Welcome to Humanity Evolve with your host, Catherine Colarco. This program will bring your life, family, and community together by focusing on the new technologies and innovations that define your world in an open and relaxed forum of ideas and discussion. Now, here is Catherine Colarco. Welcome to Humanity Evolve. This is Catherine Calarco, and today's guest is Dr. Peter Joseph, and we're going to have an, an amazing conversation about climate change and what works, what doesn't work, and, and some innovative ideas regarding economic policy. Just to, uh, Today's show is really about how to succeed and thrive in a rapidly changing world. It is our goal to inspire, empower, and inform our community with wisdom from credible and trusted world experts. We want to combine technology, information, and the human connection to support you to master your destiny and nurture what is best in ourselves. And today's guest is, I'm super excited to, to have him on board. We we met at a TEDx event. Uh, Dr. Peter Joseph is a is a, an emergency physician. He's got an amazing background, and he's now working what he calls the mother of all emergencies, climate change. He leads the Marin chapter of the Citizens Climate Lob- Lobby, a rapidly growing grassroots volunteer organization based in California, and it's their mission to help the Congress enact a revenue-neutral, fully refundable carbon fee. The most interesting aspect is that Dr. Joseph majored in biology at Columbia College, and Dr. Joseph, why, how did you go from medicine to climate change? Uh, tell me a little bit about what inspired you and, and, and what happened after you saw Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks uh, for this invitation, Catherine. Really appreciate it. It's great to meet you. Oh, the transition from medicine. Well, you know, uh, my decision to become a physician uh, involved a desire really to use technology appropriately. I came of age during the Vietnam War where we were, you know, bombing and napalming people. And I I really wanted to uh, use technology for for life, for life-affirming purposes. And I was extremely interested in in that. Uh, So it it wasn't really very difficult to transition. Uh, I've spent 35 years in the emergency room where you learn to make quick decisions and quick diagnoses and, you know, connect with people very fast. Right. Um, and so, it, and, and you take a lot of responsibility, you know. Yeah. So when I saw the movie An Inconvenient Truth, which was June of 2006 mm-hmm. when it came out, yeah. I walked out of the theater and thinking, what, am I going to sit this out? This is really terrible. This is an emergency that threatens everything we hold dear, our yeah. entire civilization. I like technology. You know, I love being able to order a CAT scan when you need one. Exactly. Save people's lives. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. I love astronomy. I love what we've done in space with the Hubble and the space travel and, you know, the machinery, the instruments we have now. It's fantastic. You know, we're probably the most evolved and technologically capable civilization in the entire known universe, as far as we know. And I would hate to see that crumble, Mm. as other civilizations have. I mean, you can probably name a dozen of them off the top of your head. Civilization, there's no guarantee 
you know, we don't have a guarantee of continued existence as a civilization, organized the way we are. And climate change, as well as other issues such as nuclear war, for example, the other issue I was deeply involved in, mm-hmm. uh, really are the existential threats of our time. The good news is we can do something about climate change. We have the technology to transition away from these dirty fuels, but what we lack is political will, and especially we're lacking the economic structure to make it happen on the timescale, which is ASAP, yeah. that we need. Right, and and is it, and just so everybody knows, uh, Peter is joining us um, with a cold that uh, he he got from his yeah yeah, and and I really appreciate him. This is how passionate he is about being part of the solution with regard to climate change. Is that he's joining us uh, a little under the weather, and uh, and apparently it 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 it, the cold originated from a very cute little five year old granddaughter. So (laughs) so I think that that just to let you guys know that uh, that Peter is. 100% dedicated to being part of the solution. And I, I think a lot of people have talked about this really being um, for our future generations. You know, I think that we have the wisdom, the abundance, the technology, the knowledge to really, as a as a population, be part of the solution, right? And so there are different avenues that people can, can actually get involved in this. And so after you saw the inconvenient truth, what, what, what part of that actually stood out for you? What was the, the, the more, the aha moment that you went, oh my, this is really something that you want to be involved in? Well, in the movie, there's a, there's a, there's a graph that shows the ice ages and the carbon dioxide concentrations moving in, in, in parallel to one another, up and down, up and down, up and down. Over mm. the last 800,000 years, this is the very accurate ice core data where we can uh, look back yeah. almost a million years and we know that when it was warm, CO2 was high and when it was cold, CO2 was low. Right. And then at the, end, at the end of that, going to modern times, he gets on one of these um, machines that raises him up into the air and he shows, well, here it is. It's going up like this. Well, where is temperature going? If CO2 is going up, at that speed, which is greater than anything in, that nature has ever produced, what's going to happen to the temperature? Well, it's pretty obvious. It matches that, it. Yeah, because the planet is out of equilibrium with the sun. We're retaining heat. We are retaining, this planet is retaining the amount of heat contained in four Hiroshima-sized atomic bombs going off every second. Mm. Think about it. Think right. of the energy that is unable to escape this increasingly thick blanket of greenhouse gases that humans are putting up into the atmosphere because we're using it as a very convenient uh, dump for the uh, products of combustion uh, that fuel most of our civilization. And, and that's kind of where the problem is. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all are emitters. <laughs> we're all using <laughs> this stuff. And so we're all complicit. And that kind of tends to make people not really want to look at the problem because you, you feel sort of guilty about it. Right. The but good the, news is yeah. that, that, that if we adjust the economy in such a way, it's not about then everybody, uh, you know, taking shorter showers or changing their light bulbs. And, and that was the interesting uh, and conflicting part of the movie. Mm-hmm. If you remember... At the end of the movie, while the credits are scrolling, yeah, 
Uh, there's all this stuff on what you can do. Do, right. Buy a Prius, yeah. eat less meat, go to the farmer's market, take your bike to work, and that yeah. sort of stuff. And, and it's like, wait a minute. Excuse me. You've just told us the sky is falling, we're doomed, and you want me to you know, take a shorter shower? This does not make sense. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what happened then was I heard that Gore was training people to give that slideshow. Right. I applied, and I got in. Huh. Awesome. <laughs> well, one you of got the reasons, it. Yeah. You wanted to do he, this. He took, one of the reasons I got in was because in my ER career, I was um, very involved with the development of my hospital's trauma center. Uh-huh. This was in the mid-'80s when trauma centers were, were being developed all over the country. And you may know that Mr. Gore's uh, young kid had been struck by a car and severely injured in Washington, D.C. at a baseball game and spent a lot of time in a trauma center and was eventually rehabilitated, and he's okay today. So I think he took me, among other reasons, because of my work on trauma center development. In fact, when we had our first evening there in Nashville, he introduced himself to every single person there and when he saw my name, he says, ah, yes, you're the one who did the trauma centers. Thank you for, for that work. Awesome. So it was quite personal. Yeah. But then what happened was they send you out of the training with 400 really beautiful slides about how terrible the situation is and what's going to happen, what is happening. You know, yeah. floods, droughts, fires, heat waves, everything. But very short on solutions. It doesn't really tell you what, what you ought to be doing. And mm-hmm. I found that when I started going out and giving my talks, and I gave a lot of them, mm-hmm. the first hand that would go up at the end was, well, what can I do? Right. And I really didn't have a good answer. Hmm. I didn't. Um, what was I supposed If I had given this talk to you and you said, well, what should I do? And I said, well, take shorter showers. You'd look eat at less, me. So eat, I was don't not. eat meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's well, it's still good, distance. but it's something. It, it's I understand the difference because the difference is, is 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 that truly enough? You know, it seems like such a small thing in the face of a huge problem, right? And so, um, you know, the it, but a, a little bit like the organic food movement. If enough of us do it, there is a tipping point, right? There is a tipping point of impact, and and the the demand becomes greater for the things that are less of a carbon input, and you have the ability to impact, uh, uh, you know, your, the quality of your food. Um, I can understand that as, and I also probably guess that this was something people could do without, uh, could simply do. And I think that my guess is that this organization was trying to provide people things that, um, were, uh, something they could actually address in their daily lives. So it gave them a, a small action point. But in fact, what you're looking at is, well, what is really going to move the dial? You know, we are not addressing the large, um, uh, larger picture and uh, being able to fundamentally impact that and then not have to wait for everyone to eat less meat or or take or drive a Prius, you know. So what, what so that was kind of your realization is sort of you were looking at what is going to really move this dial and what can I do to really make a difference? Right, Exactly. Regarding personal actions, I, I have yeah. a slightly different uh, a point Great. of view on that. Yeah. Personal, personal actions are critical. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very important that people take those personal actions. But 
don't kid yourself. That's not going to solve the problem because not everybody's going to give up meat and take shorter showers and turn the lights out. Mm. Uh, this is a massive global problem. Uh, so these personal actions, I think, are necessary, right. but they are not sufficient. Don't kid yourself that you know by doing what your personal, by riding your bike, giving away your car, yeah. you're going to save the world. You're not. Um, however, the personal actions have another effect, which I think is even more important. Every time you take one of those actions, you know, you turn the lights out when you leave the room, or you bundle your trips when you go out for the day and you don't have to go out three or four times. Every time you do that, you are reinforcing behavior patterns in your brain that say, I'm alert, I care, I am going out of my way to be a good citizen. Mm-hmm. And that sets you up for when the real big push comes. For example, there's a carbon tax on the ballot or something, and you don't know what exactly to to do. And there's a lot of propaganda against it saying how terrible it's going to be for the economy. You have already primed yourself to pay attention and investigate and look deeper than the 30-second commercials, you know. Uh, that's an aroused citizenry. So to pick up the story from there, um, it was the summer of 2011. Uh, as you may remember, Obama was flailing against the Congress with uh, the debt ceiling and health care and all these other issues. Right. And I, I, I felt like things were just out of control. Uh-huh. And that was the summer that the Keystone XL pipeline uh, controversy really came to consciousness. And the more I investigated that, the more outrageous it, it seemed to me that uh, what we're doing in the Alberta tar sands, if you look at the pictures, yeah. it's ecocide. It's ecocide. They cut down the forest and basically scrape the, the dirt and, and squeeze the oil out and pipe it through our country where it will spill uh, to be refined in the s- s- south coast and then sent off to China or whoever wants to buy it. Right. And it, it made me furious. Mm. So I, I decided I was going to go to Washington and get arrested in this civil disobedience. The, 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 you know, <laughs> disobedience. You're getting, getting, you're getting involved. <laughs> I, I was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, my youngest son was going off to college, and I felt a tremendous responsibility for my three sons. Yeah. And now my two darling little granddaughters, and I still do. Yeah, but know, here's what happened. Yeah, just uh, I think one thing that you mentioned that's really important when you were talking about the uh, sort of the the consciousness of your daily habits and how that kind of uh, translate to the larger things is one of the an evolutionary principle is to consider something in a holistic manner because you actually care about the planet because you turn the lights off or you 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 eat less meat or you you clean up beaches and you take personal. Ch- changes in your life, then that makes you more conscious or more aware or take the time to be educated when you're presented with economic policy change or, or laws or or uh, uh, government action associated with the climate. And I think that's one of the that is an awesome challenge for people to actually take on upon themselves is to become educated about things and really consider what is happening that can really move the dial. And a 
the, the, what we're going to do when we come back, we have to go to a break, and uh, which is really exciting because we've got some, we're going to let uh, Peter uh, talk a little bit more about his story and what actually happened. And did he survive going to Washington? And, and how did that go with, with the protesting? And, and really, then I want to talk about uh, some of the, the, the innovative economic ideas that are, are being proposed and his uh, unique knowledge around them. Um, this is a, an excellent opportunity for all of us as citizens to become involved in the future of our planet. We are no longer the consumers, we are curators. And I think if we take that stand and become educated on what is what are options, then we are better caretakers for what this beautiful planet that we reside on. This is such a miracle for us. So please join us after the break and hear the rest of Peter's amazing story and also learn a few ideas on how we can actually move the dial and make a positive impact. Thank you so much. This is Catherine Calarco with Humanity Evolve and Dr. Peter Joseph. dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. This is Humanity Evolve with Katherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. Welcome back. This is Catherine Calarco with Dr. Peter Joseph, and we're talking about climate change and what moves the dial to make a difference for our planet. Just before the break, Peter was telling his story on how he was inspired and got into action after viewing an inconvenient truth and it, it the, the profound impact on his life and how it changed the trajectory of it, including deciding to go to Washington to protest and in and become a champion for his children and his grandchildren. So Peter, tell me a little bit about what happened when you went to Washington and what was the what was the protest all about? Okay, well, it was a symbolic protest organized by Bill McKibben and 350 to protest the uh, Keystone XL pipeline, uh, which was intended to carry dirty tar sands oil through our country down to the Gulf Coast for refinement and sale and shipping abroad. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said, when I saw the pictures of what, what's being done to the environment up there, this devastation, I mean, it looks like a moonscape. You can see mm-hmm. it from space. Your viewers should just uh, go to YouTube and uh, type in uh, tar sands, and you'll see what's going on up there. It's absolutely horrendous. Mm. So I decided to do this. 
you know, put my money where my mouth was. Right. And, you know, at, at, at my age, getting arrested is not a big deal. I'm not, you know, seeking government grants or scholarships. I'm, I'm retired now. So it was less risky than for a younger person. Mm. So the, the misdemeanor is standing in front of the White House and not moving when they tell you to because you can protest in front of the White House if you keep moving. Right. If you stand there, you're blocking the view of other tourists. That's a misdemeanor punishable by a $100 fine. So anyway, there are a lot of people. Eventually, there were like 1,600 arrests. Huh. So you stand there, they come. They, it was a SWAT team, of all things, as if we were dangerous. And, uh, you know, I got, <laughs> the ER doctor standing in front of the White House. I'm know. wearing my white coat and scrubs. Uh, <laughs> right. they, they do the flexi-cuff thing, so your hands are behind your back. They frisk you. you know. Then uh, they get put in a paddy wagon. And it's August, right? It's hot. Yeah. And um, I, I, was, I was sweating so much that I actually got my my right hand out of the cuffs because it was so wet. <laughs> um, and I was with a group of other men. One of them worked at the EPA. And on our way down to the Anacostia police station, we started singing America the Beautiful. Oh, wow. And when I choke up, I was thinking, what an honor to live in the United States of America, yeah. where I could demonstrate in front of the presidential palace yeah. And not worry that I'm going to get beat up or roughed up or in any way hurt by the police. Because why? Not only are they professional, but there are people watching. Yeah. And I, I couldn't think of another country where I'd feel safe doing that, frankly. Mm. And um, I didn't want to get my skull cracked. Right. So um, uh, to make a long story short, uh, we got processed. You pay your money. Uh, I was discharged from the police station, and, and uh, interestingly enough, the moment I got out, there was this earthquake. In Washington? You, there was a huge earthquake right across the river in Virginia. It shut down a nuclear power plant. It damaged uh, the Washington Monument, um, and a church bricks fell down. And, you know, Washington, they're not used to earthquakes, but it right. was like a three or four or something. It was a significant shaker. So everybody was like... What was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're in California as the expert. Okay, we're fine. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking, I hope that wasn't the big one in California. Right. Exactly. Here. They weren't connected. Um, but but, but the, the upshot of it was I, I had this feeling afterwards like, well, okay, I'm glad I did that. I feel kind of flat and I'm for yeah. sure dehydrated. Yeah. But you know what? This isn't enough. There's enough SWAT team officers to keep arresting us. This isn't really going to stop anything. It is symbolic. Chaining yourself to the bulldozer is symbolic. They're not going to cut your arm off, but it's symbolic. We need something real that addresses the fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem is that fossil fuels are artificially cheap. And they're artificially cheap because their prices do not reflect the damages that they're causing. Mm. which we now can't ignore. In the past, a symbol of prosperity would be the, you know, the train traveling, hurtling across the prairie with the smoke billowing out from the coal burning in the engine. You know, it was a sign of prosperity. It was a good thing. We have built an amazing and prosperous civilization using this cheap, abundant, easily obtained 
fuel. Who wouldn't do it? No, no civilization would, would ignore this opportunity to build itself up, build empires and wage wars and, you know, give everybody lights and heat and, right. you know, grapes from Chile in the middle of winter. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, now we can't, we can no longer pretend that we don't understand the consequences of that. The consequences are tragic and huge. And it's not just for our grandchildren, by the way. It's right now. Yeah. It's happening now. Yeah. So right after that, I got home and I heard about this organization, Citizens Climate Energy. You know, before you go into that, I'm just fascinated by this concept that the the fossil fuels are not paying or we're not paying for the impact of fossil fuels. It's like we're paying for the production and the delivery and the, you know, the, the, the use of it, but we're actually, the, the, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, what, sure. what is the impact of the fossil fuel that, it, it, what is the costs that's in there that we're, that it, the price of gasoline is not covering? I, just, I would love to learn a little more about that. Well, we've been burning fossil fuels since the Industrial Revolution and conveniently dumping the invisible waste product, carbon dioxide, into the atmosphere and the oceans, where they're having a huge impact on a geological scale. And that's causing all these horrible climate events, you know, uh, droughts and floods and sea level rise and displacement and hunger. Uh, the Syrian civil war is a climate event from a mm. decades long, uh, half a decade of trout, drought. Um, we see it here in California. We had this five-year drought, which I think has ended. That'd be yeah. good. Uh, replaced by torrential rains. Right. Um, those all have huge costs to society. Hurricane Sandy, which hit the area that I grew up in in, in New York. Uh, to the tune of what, sixty-two billion dollars, if I recall correctly. Who pays for that? It's not reflected in a gallon of gasoline at you know two fifty. Yeah. Uh, it's the whole society pays for it. So how on earth can a rational marketplace make rational decisions made by intelligent people when there's this enormous hole in the information that people are given? So the whole plan here with a carbon fee is to gradually, starting low, start to raise the cost of these damaging fuel sources, energy sources, so that eventually their prices will reflect accurately their true social costs. Mm. Now, you know, 40 years ago… Does that include like… Plastics and things like that that are actually generated from the petroleum uh, products, or is that primarily focusing on uh, gasoline, uh, the fuel for our cars and for trucks and airplanes? Good question. Uh, The plan, I believe, is to exclude the about fifteen percent of the stream uh, that's turned into plastics and antibiotics and oils, lubricants, which we're really going to need in the. next industrial uh, revolution, lots of specialty lubricants for those wind turbines and special engines and whatnot. So that part, if it's not burned, shouldn't be taxed, but the rest of it is being burned. 
Uh, yeah, except you know the plastics. We were talking to Fabian Cousteau last week, who you know. We'd love to tell you a story about about that connection at uh, COP21. The uh, the the plastics industry itself. I mean, the 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 nine gyres, or there may be more in the oceans, and the amount of plastics that are in our food, and the impact on uh, the amount of uh, uh, debris and and garbage that's out there is uh, is just as significant. You know, maybe it's it's not affecting the atmosphere as much, but it's definitely f- affecting our water, our oceans, and the oceans generate most of our oxygen. So um, it's, it is it is interesting um, how we this principle, or if there is a principle for plastics as well. But I know that's separate from what you guys are focusing on, but I'm, I'm curious on how we could actually do an industry uh, movement away from you know away from plastics to incentivize using biodegradable and what's interesting is that a lot of the solutions to these things like using alternate fuel fuels uh, you know car, electric cars um, you know a, a different uh, aspects of you know more efficient uh, houses uh, solar there's all these solutions that exist they just they just don't have the incentives for us to adopt them in a mass way you know and uh, um, I just think that there's what's cool is that there are solutions to to there are alternatives but as you state the cheapest solution is still to use uh, and the easiest because it's already embedded as part of our society is to use the gas um, and and petroleum but uh, so the the aspect of that is you know how can we uh, modify an industry by providing disincentives or incentives to uh, generate a industrial shift. I mean, it happened in the, like you talked about, it happened when we moved from horses to automobiles. So how can we create uh, create that in a more art- architected way rather than just allowing technology to unfold because we may not have time to do that, you know? Well, there's a very simple answer to that very good question. and The, the key word is incentive. And the answer is one word, money. Right. M- money talks. Follow the money. Money makes the world go round. Oof. If you don't have the money yeah. incentives aligned with survival incentives, I don't see any way to get from here to there. Interesting. Uh, you can't do it. Because right. as long as fossil fuels remain the cheapest source of energy, somebody's going to use them. If it's not here, it's going to be in uh, some other place that is poor and doesn't have the resources in you know, a country where people don't even have electricity and they want it. They see how we live. And they want 24 by 7 reliable energy so their kids can study with a light bulb or a refrigerator or a ceiling fan. That sort of thing. And they're going to get it. If it takes burning coal, they'll get it that way. Yeah. And do you think that they have the opportunity to leapfrog? You know, like where we saw, um, and there's that story that uh, the we, we see a lot with uh, Peter Diamantis' abundance, and, and it's often shown in uh, some of the TEDx talks around the fact that, you know, that the the Maasai warriors in Africa now have, didn't have <laughs> landlines, you know, they don't have telephone lines, but they have cell phones, right? And so they leapfrog technology, and instead of installing a utility system, they now have access to the internet through their cell phone. Well, that's um, a very good example. You know? Uh, but it's a great example of leapfrogging technology, and you know, it's discussed a lot, and the obviously the industrialized countries should be giving away 
this technology mm-hmm. uh, to countries that don't have it. Right. We should be putting in wind and solar everywhere we can. Um, you know, but the difference is that there's not the most uh, powerful industry on the planet opposing you. The problem here is that the the the, the petrochemical industry is probably the most powerful industry on the planet. And, you know, you can see with just what's going on uh, in, in Washington now, uh, they've got a very firm hold on the politics, which is pretty disconcerting. Uh, because the science says that 75 or 80% of the known fossil fuels, uh, fossil fuel reserves that we know about, not to mention right. we don't, that yeah. could be recovered. They've got to be left in the ground for us to have even a 50-50 chance of not going over the cliff with the climate. So that's worth over $20 trillion. That's a very powerful, um, <laughs> ineluctable <laughs> incentives to go out and drill more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So what, what can possibly, what force, what engine can go up against that attraction of cheap, uh, renewable, and not renew- but, but recoverable uh, energy, you're going to need a stiff price on that. And if you get a tax that's rising um, predictably over time, that starts small and goes up steeply, it will make that product much less attractive. And industry will eventually just let it stay where it belongs, keep the dinosaurs in the ground. And it'll incentivize a conversion to what we're talking about is the clean energy. Uh, Without the price signal, I don't see how markets actually can make that transition, Hmm. even if they wanted to, uh, because that's the way the economy works. You've got to make profit. You've got to show, you know, every quarter uh, you're, you're making money. And if, if only you could say, look, uh, to the board of directors, unless we invest in conversion to uh, renewable energy, our company might not be able to compete into the future. So we owe it to our company, our employees, and our shareholders to make the investment now because we can see what's coming. Hmm. That's, how you, that's how you support the very good people in corporations who want to see change, who who also have children and grandchildren, not our right. but you have to give them a, a a fiduciary reason to do this because it's not just doing just do gooding, doing good. It's in order to do well, you have to do it this way. So that right. brings us to the the carbon fee. Yeah, what what we're here to talk about. Right, and uh, the so what I'm hearing you say is that you have to address the money. Uh, it, the money has to be aligned with the planet, exactly. And that, and that the there is not a com, uh, there is not compassionate capitalism within the um, petroleum industry that is looking at this as a holistic. And if there was, maybe we would buy that gas over other gas, right? You know, maybe there's a way to incentivize us as consumers. You know, I I I've seen a lot of uh, executives look at the triple bottom line and the impact of 
being socially conscious and and doing the right things by the larger whole of of all of us and and uh, this there is a there is economic benefit in doing that right and i i think that a lot of um uh, it's just whether or not that's enough you know it it can you can you swap over to an alternative energy source or alternative business model and you know, like Nokia, uh, you know, or, or others, uh, are you able to transform your industry? And I, I, I'd like to see more consciousness uh, evoke from uh, organizations and for corporations to take a leadership stand in this and actually make a fundamental difference that, that, uh, creates more of a positive climate change rather than a negative climate change. And I don't care if you believe in climate change or not, this makes good sense to take care of our planet. You know, it is about doing the right things. And I, I, after the break, we're going to come back and talk about what is a, uh, what is this fee? You know, what, how does it work? What is the point of it? This is an opportunity for education. I'm, this is not, I'm not advocating this. What I'm looking for is education. And I think it's important for us to have a conversation about these innovative ideas and really discuss as a, as a as a community what is going to work best for us right and this is an this is a really gets to that money question and to the alignment question and provides a incentive for uh, industry uh, change and reformation. We're going to come back after the break and uh, Dr. Peter is going to explain the the fee and how the economic impact will work and how we get uh, petroleum to pay for the impact that it's creating and uh, and also other options and how people can get involved in learning more about the, the things that work, which is really important. We need to support what works and we need to support uh, companies that are doing it well. And uh, that, I really advocate that. So this is Catherine Calarco with Humanity Evolve and our guest, Dr. Peter Joseph, today talking about climate change, an important subject. We'll be back right after the break and our sponsor, the Fabian Cousteau uh, Open Ocean Learning Center. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time.
This is Humanity Evolve with Catherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. We're back. This is Catherine Calarco with Dr. Peter Joseph talking about climate change. And just before the break, we were talking a little bit about how uh, we can align financial or fiduciary uh, uh, incentives with uh, the climate change practices and saving our planet. And now you have to follow the money, but also that there's a lot of uh, organizations that are seeing the value of a triple bottom line or are taking proactive steps to be a positive uh, change in the world and actually doing good things for improving our climate and their uh, a, their their footprint on this planet. So Peter, tell us a little bit about what is uh, what is the carbon fee and a little bit about you know companies that are doing it right. Um, just you know continue that story that's and, and explain to us, educate us on what this is all about and how it works. Yeah, sure, great. Uh, first of all, anyone who wants more information can go to the website citizensclimatelobby.org. It's all there. Excellent. Thank you. Um, you know, this is an organization that's been doubling every year. Uh, for the past uh, five or six years, they're, they're up to 50,000, 60,000 members. They've spread to 29 countries. The Canadian group is very active, meeting with members of parliament, etc. What we do is we lobby Congress. We're trying to get the U.S. Congress to enact a federal revenue-neutral carbon fee, dividend, and border carbon tariff and give all the money back to you and you and you and me in equal shares. Uh, so the government doesn't keep the money. When the government doesn't keep the money, it's not really a tax. Right. The, the, the revenue is not intended to be part of the general fund where it's being spent on all the other things the government does. It's just going back to the people so that they can afford the inevitable rise of prices of just about everything, because just about everything is made with these fuels. Mm-hmm. It also then incentivizes markets through a healthy use of our capitalist market system to compete. Industries will have to compete against one another f- for the lowest carbon intensity. And that means all the entrepreneurs and the investors, uh, you know, the inventors, are going to start a new gold rush, essentially, to uh, lower carbon products, lower carbon uh, processes, lower carbon energy inputs. You know, if you're if you're manager, manufacturing widgets in your factory, uh, I don't think you really care where your electrons come from as long as you've got them and it's reliable. So if there's a wind farm that you could get them from versus a coal plant – the manager will instantly realize that it may be cheap today, but in five years, the electricity is going to be significantly more expensive. But that wind farm is using fuel that's free. Mm-hmm. So it will be not rising in price. And so your widgets, you won't have to pass that cost to your widgets, to the consumer, and then your widgets will be more competitive than the other widget factory using uh, coal-based electricity, for example. So it's a healthy use of uh, our economic system. You know, don't tear it down. Let's fix it, right? 
Right. So the, w- the way it works is a, a, a set fee is placed on the eventual carbon dioxide uh, that will be released when that stuff is burnt. You do it when it enters the economy, like the port of entry, the well, the mine shaft where the coal is coming out. You put a fee on there, which can easily be determined, of you know dollars per ton. It's collected right. by the treasury. Uh-huh. Company pays it, and we'll pass along some or all of it to the next person down the line. Maybe it's the refiner or the natural gas utility, and they will pass it on eventually to the consumer. Not all of it, but a lot of it. So you'll see a rise in prices of gasoline, for example, will go up about 10 cents for every $10 per ton. In five years, gas will go up 50 cents a gallon. Well, 50 cents a gallon is well within even the seasonal fluctuation of gasoline. You know, in the That's summer, right. it's That's hit right. $4 a gallon here. Now yeah. it's two fifty. So, you know, who's going to notice? But some people will because yeah, they will. lower income yeah. people. You know, the guy driving his truck to the job site, he's, right. you know, commuting long distance. He's going to notice it. But here's where it gets good. The modeling, the economic modeling show that... Two-thirds or more of the population, the lower income levels, actually will get more back from the dividend than they will pay in increased costs. And that's very significant. That makes this tax progressive, not regressive. It would never get anywhere if you're punishing the poor and doing this on the backs of lower income folks. It's not going to happen. Uh, Everybody would be opposed to that. But the fact when you... When you recycle all of that revenue back to the Main Street economy, people do very well. And the the wealthy folks who buy more stuff, which is where your carbon footprint is, by the way, it's the embedded carbon in making that new handbag or shoes or stereo system that you're you're purchasing. It's the embedded carbon from the manufacturing process. The wealthy people won't even notice it because CCL has done a study where it's Less than 1% of income uh, increase. So there's no downside, really. And then you put, after recycling all this revenue, there's a border carbon tariff. That is an extremely important feature because no piece of legislation is going to see the light of day if it puts American industry, exporters, manufacturers... At risk, yeah. you know, because like China is burning all this coal to make our stuff, and our our system is a lot cleaner because we're using a lot of natural gas. So why would we ever put our industry at risk, at a disadvantage? Yeah, uh, to say China or India. <coughs> so you, you got to level the playing field, and you do that with a border carbon tariff where the incoming stuff can be assessed. For its carbon footprint, and they're gonna have to pay the same fee that our industry pays, and the money goes to us. Right now, does that? So, so it sounds like what you're what what it just sort of a recap. What you're saying is that is that the the impact cost would be added at the source. And that would be added to the chain of uh, so that it, the gas would be more expensive at the pump, and and yet what that does is is it uh, incentivizes 
the organizations that cre- that manufacture or produce or are in that oil uh, business uh, to look for uh, alternative solutions, and that the uh, consumers are not impacted because they are rebated, if I'm, that may not be the right word, but they returned, they get the dividend back from the money that they've spent. And that will actually be a stimulus in the sense that they will have that uh, available for them to buy goods and services or to take care of their family. Absolutely. You've yeah. got it. But, and there's another feature too, uh-huh. that if you're getting this check and it's going up and up and up in the early phases, uh, some $2,000 a month or more, $4,800 a lot. It's yeah. a lot of money, especially for people who don't have a lot of money. Right. But now, and if you start getting clever, you can start making money because your check keeps coming. It's not dependent on your income. It's not dependent on your consumption. They just collect the revenue, divide it by every citizen, the number, and send out the checks. So if you decide, okay, I'm going to reduce my footprint, like mm-hmm. – I'll drive less, or if I have to replace my car, I will get a more fuel-efficient car or truck, or I'll carpool, or I'll bundle my trips. Instead of making three trips up and down the hill, I'll make one every day, use less gas. You you get to keep the spread. So citizens are incentivized to become more energy efficient, and yet it's not the government telling people what to do. Sorry, I'll turn that off. It's not the government coming in saying, well, you have to do this, you have to do that. Not in America. (laughs) Uh, We like our personal liberty. But you will have the freedom to either squander your dividend or keep the spread. Uh, And also, when people are sent checks for a couple hundred dollars uh, every month or three, they tend to spend that money. They'll spend it shopping. They'll spend it going to the doctor. They'll, they'll take a weekend off and go to a go to the beach or a hotel. It, it's, it's actually a huge stimulant to the base of the economy, the mainstream economy. And the, the models show that it boosts almost every industry except for the hydrocarbon extraction industry. And they're going to have plenty of time because this isn't going to happen fast right? to adjust and switch over. So – yeah. And will they? I mean, has this, is there a model? I mean, I'm, you, I read something about Alaska has similar. Um, is there a model that actually shows that this does work to move? Because, you know, 50 cents, this cost is, it doesn't double the price of oil, but it, you know, will it be enough for them to, to, to change? Or are they just going to, like the, like you said, gas changes from $2 and a half to $4 a gallon, you know, are they just going to um, absorb it as a, as a price increase? So, uh, is there a model that works that exists with this now? Well, look, let's let's face it. We need to get off fossil fuels. These are right. the ancient fuels of the past. Right. These are the fuels of Abraham Lincoln's time of the last couple of centuries. They are dirty and they are wrecking the planet and we are in big big trouble. So, to be honest, let's let's admit this. We are asking the fossil fuel industry to put themselves out of business. Uh, That's a hard thing for uh, an executive at ExxonMobil, for example, to swallow. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the whaling industry went belly up too when oil was discovered in Titusville, Pennsylvania. And 
the economy survived. Um, you know, the typewriter industry went extinct when personal computers came along, and people survived. Those employees uh, found other jobs. We are in a, a moment of great, huge industrial transition, and the transition is not optional. Right. We must do this if we're to have a future as an organized civilization. We are already over the line. Uh-huh. We cannot stop climate change. It is here, and because of the massive inertia in the oceans, which have absorbed uh, 40% of the CO2 and which are now heating, right. there is more in the pipeline, a lot more. We're melting the ice shelves that hold back the huge uh, land-based ice sheets of Antarctica and Greenland. We've created a new ocean in the Arctic. I mean, yeah. we're, we're destroying the planet's air conditioning system in the north <laughs> that reflects sunlight and now it's yeah. absorbing sunlight i mean it's all happening yeah when, when you yeah. get down to what yeah where we really are you lose sleep over it and that brings <laughs> yeah, me to that's true. the point that for me personally the only way i can cope with what i know and what i feel is to be active right and i found this organization citizens climate lobby which is a grassroots bottoms up organization. I'm very active with them. They encourage people to find their voice and their personal political power by understanding the issue. We give them all the talking points in very tight laser talks where they can then go out and and talk about it with their friends, their coworkers, their elected representatives. it's, It's enormously successful. We're hoping for a bill this year, believe it or not. With the Republicans owning Washington, there is an opportunity to get a carbon fee and dividend bill through the Congress. And that's where we're going to have to leave it off. This has been an amazing educational conversation about things that I have not known about before in terms of what we can do in terms of the economic aspects and things that will incentivize an industry transformation. Uh, Peter, this has been fascinating. I, I think I uh, see that you. it is great that I think it's important for people to get involved. Uh, you can go to citizensclimatelobby.org and find all this information and create a voice for yourself and be able to champion the planet in a way that fits for you in your life. The reality is what you're saying, Peter, is this is happening. We've got to be involved. So I, uh, if you want to keep to keep in touch with Peter, he's at uh, on Twitter at PJMD. Um, I'm Catherine Calarco. You can stay in touch on Twitter at Kath Calarco, and also on LinkedIn or email at info at ccalarco.com. This has been an awesome show today. I really appreciate you, Dr. Peter, to be involved and be to advocate for us. I I think that uh, we need more champions for the planet, and I see them more and more every day. Thank you very much for being on our show. Well, thank you. I appreciated it and it's been fun. Thank you much. Thank you for joining Catherine Calarco for this week's edition of Humanity Evolve. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk again then.